Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bienvenido. If you are able, please share this show with a friend. Leave us a nice review on the podcast player of your choice, or if you'd like to support us financially, sign up for the Companion Podcast, The St. Nicholas Project, on Gum Road. All these things really help us out. Namaste. Hello, friend. The Mystical American Patriot Society is transmitting to you from beneath 4 million cubic feet of solid granite, in the burning heart of the Yellowstone Caldera. This is a variety program for normal sandwich-eating Americans with some concerns about living in a deranged, post-Christian technocracy. So, keep your third eye on the sky and your ear to the ground, as Sumo and Smokestack connect your main brain vein to a higher plane. Are you ready? Stand by. Hello? 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 Hello, I am the, um, I was, hello, can you hear me? Yes. I'm a representative from the Lincoln Project. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm, d- I'm doing great. Hello. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if you would be interested in, in being a, a, a conservative Republican and yeah. voting for us this, this, um, this coming election season uh, well, I, in yeah, Virginia. I, I don't know. What's, it, what's in it for me? Well, uh, you know, we're going to try to lower your taxes. One thing I, I do need from you, it's it's a bit out of the ordinary. Do you have a do you have a white shirt perchance? I think I do. Yeah. Like a like a oh, button good. down. It, yeah, and like a khaki pants maybe? I do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. We we're having a little get together, a little um rally for oh, one great. of our um candidates and mm-hmm. Uh, we want you to. Uh, Will's going to supply the hats and the tiki torches, okay. obviously. Uh-huh. If you just. Um, T- did you say tiki? Willing- tiki torches? Yes, that's pretty standard. Pretty standard. We're going to. You're going to do a little march around, and um, this is going to, to help our public image as Republicans. Is this like a luau theme party? Well, it's more of a. It's more of a. Um, a KKK themed party, but uh, without the hoods. We're doing we're doing fashion forward now. It's more hats. Do you think that'll be received well? I think it'll be received pretty well. We've done a lot of market outreach, and uh, it just seems like this is the way to go for uh, an, a Republican organization. This is what we need to be doing. Okay, um, I'm I'm a Republican voter, and I'm really like 
into my party, so that means I'm just going to go along with this, and it sounds like a great idea. Right, and it's um, and, whew, so I'm so glad me you said this because because can I was I donate? Nervous. We had can we I had I or is my is my donation tax deductible? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, not, uh, but, Darn. but but I'm glad you said that mm-hmm. because. I was getting a little worried. We know we had a few too many. Uh, well, some of uh, some we. This is a, of course we're we're pretending that we're white supremacists to help the cause, which is a little weird. But you know, I'm going to go along with it. I trust you. Well, I, I know, and it was getting a little. I think it's weird because the narrative was getting a little mixed because we could only find. Uh, so well, I'm, I'll just be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I'll just be honest. What did you say your name was again? My name's Smokestack. Oh, I'll be honest with you, Mister Smokestack. I, it's been a little hectic because I have, um, well, some of our current people we have playing white supremacists are black, and it's oh. just not, it's not, it's a bit incongruent. A little confusing. Mm-hmm. Good morning. <laughs> you gotta drop that voice now. <laughs> yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Uh. That, yeah, did you see that? Did you if you look closely at that weird picture, like of the people in the white shirt? One of them is a black guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a black guy, a chubby woman. Yeah, it's like what? What was your first clue? This was fake. I mean, I guess the first clue that it was happening is that it was fake. Yeah, and then the, the second clue is that one of the white supremacists was a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't, I don't just, really believe that the Lincoln Project was behind this. I think they're jumping on the grenade for Terry McAuliffe. Y- you think so? Yeah, I don't think they actually planned this. I think that the local Dem machine planned this, and they weren't very smart about it, obviously. And now Lincoln Project's mm-hmm. trying to clean up their mess. That's I saw. I can't. Uh, I attribute that idea to um, Duke of Alba. I saw mm-hmm. him remarking. Yes, this probably morning. so. Yeah. Probably so. But. So, for those listening who aren't aware, and all of this, all that we're going to talk about is, like all of our things, this is related to our coming interview with the great homesteader philosopher Jason Snyder, Mm -hmm. in ways that shall be made clear to the person, uh, to the people, uh, eventually. Sweet. Um, But yeah, uh, so... The there was there's this there's this selection in Virginia if you still care about such things mm-hmm. going on and they're doing all the things where they're like the election may not be decided on election day yeah they're blah, already blah, blah. they're already setting up for that man we don't we don't know we can't count the votes in a reasonable time anymore because we need time to cheat <laughs> no they're for they're fortifying the democracy. That's what they're doing. Right. It takes extra or, time when it's extra fortified. I mean, even if they're not, it just sounds so suspicious every time you're like, listen, <laughs> listen. They're like, we had election day yesterday. Who won? Well, you know, we don't know yet. <laughs> yep. We got to strengthen and fortify our democracy a little bit. I, we're still rummaging around. I think we've got like trucks of ballots somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. There's a water pipe that burst, yeah. I think. And we just have to, uh, you know. But anyway, yeah, there was this. 
And who is the... I don't even... I care so little now. I don't even know the guy's name. Who was the guy running the two people? Do you remember? It was Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. Yeah, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. And uh, Glenn Youngkin is the Democrat, correct? No, McAuliffe is the Democrat. No, McAuliffe. Okay. So, the idea is that uh, Youngkin wanted to smear his opponent as a white supremacist. And so he tried to recreate a mini Charlottesville sort of optic scenario with well, people with tiki torches. McAuliffe was trying to smear Youngkin. Yeah, whichever. Yeah. They don't, none of these people matter. It's true. But they it don't funny. matter. <laughs> and, uh, and the, um, but it was obviously not, it was obvious even to normal people watching it that it was something was off because one of the white supremacists was a black guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was weird. Mm-hmm. And one of them was this short, chubby woman. Yeah. And there were only like five. And then for some somehow the Lincoln Project, which is a quote unquote conservative organization, which isn't. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a, what do you call them? It's a, it's a infiltrator, agent provocateur. Con- controlled opposition or something. I don't know. Controlled yeah. opposition. Something, something. Um, who all they do is, is really just promote whatever, the, whatever the left wants. They try to frame it in a conservative way and do pedophilia. Yeah. They also which is molest their, two their main, staffers. That's their two main, um, products they put out mm-hmm. is controlled opposition and, and pedophilia. Um, and but anyway, they decide they took credit for this, or they took the blame, or whatever this credit blame is for mm-hmm. this. Somehow they're like, "Oh, that was our idea. We they're thought like, it would help." Like a fake somebody. terrorist organization leaping in to claim credit for an attack. They jumped up and said, "This was our responsibility." I think they tried to make it sound like a performance art project to try to. Reframe it a little bit, but it was so embarrassing. I don't. I don't think anybody's buying it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, what was the purpose of it would not be clear in any way. Yeah, uh, like why the only the only reason it would make sense is if someone was trying to smear the guy as a white supremacist, right? And that's the way it ran for the first few hours of the news cycle. That's the way yeah. they were running it. They were like, "Oh yeah, look at all these white supremacists coming out to support Yunkin." And and then only when it was obvious that it was fake did they start trying to, you know, reframe it as some sort of a weird. I don't see why people don't do this on the opposite. Like just, just like if if you're a white supremacist and you want somebody to win, you should publicly support the other guy. Yeah, it's not like they don't know they're not popular. All four of them. Yeah, you should go out and be like, listen, this is our guy. We. We love this guy, and then and then people would feel bad being with with you. Well, the the problem here is that there are no actual organized white supremacists out there. They're all fake. Yes, that's and true. so there aren't any to do this. Right, right, and so they're just. So I think maybe well maybe people should form another fake group. Yeah, to then smear the other side. We could be the right. fake, fake white supremacists impersonating the original Or you could be like ones. a fake pedophil- pro-pedophilia group, like a fake Nambla. 
and yeah. come out and be like, yeah, look, we love uh, McAuliffe yeah. guy here. Mm-hmm. He's he's our, he's the pro-pedophilia candidate. Yeah. And that would maybe make him look bad. Well, it would backfire because that would just get you invited to the election after party. That's true. All politics now is just a smear to see if you can label the other person as either a racist or a pedophile. Yeah. And the secret is everyone in politics is both. True. Yeah. They're all, they're all, they're all both of those things. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's easy both to smear them and also um, why they don't like it. Yeah. But yeah, the, and the link and the Lincoln project just decided it would jump on it. It would, it would jump in front of that bullet. Mm -hmm. Like someone working with Alec Baldwin, just, Jump right in front of it and and <laughs> see how that would happen, you know? Uh, is that is the Alec Baldwin thing real? I haven't decided yet. Uh I I mean I think it would probably qualify as real and divine judgment. Hmm. It just how, that's just the way it it, it tastes to me right now. Well, you know, I was thinking that. But it's a little bit, if you look into it, there's a little bit of the flavor of JFK and Lincoln assassinations. How so? Well, you know, like, the JFK and Lincoln assassinations are always, like, um, they always, you know, go hand in hand. Right, there's a lot of, uh, not similarities, but, like, weird relationships. Yeah, like, he was going from uh, something to a theater, and the other was, you know, I don't remember all of the the things. Yeah. But, uh, like he was, I think Kennedy was riding in a Lincoln mm-hmm. and all of these, there's all these weird parallels. And there's that with this in that the person that was killed. Well, like, so was, was the, was from whose father was a Ukrainian s- submarine operator for the Soviet union. <laughs> Right. Okay. And Alec Baldwin's most famous movie is Hunt for Red October, where they're looking for a Ukrainian, they're like the defector's Ukrainian submarine operator. Oh, weird. And the movie, it was the Hunt for Red October, right? And this movie was called Rust, and Rust comes from red. Yeah. And then it's a, it's a red October because he killed the guy, he killed the submarine operator person in October. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. Right. Yeah. And then the the guy or like the armor lady that that is maybe fake. Mm-hmm. Uh she was she grew up on the same Alaskan military base that they leave from in the hunt from Red October. Ooh, weird. And there's a lot of these things and the more you dig into it you're like, Oh, this is either fake or it's one of those one of those reality uh screw ups where the Mandela effect sort of happens in real time and you get all upset about it. <laughs> I don't feel real upset. I don't. <laughs> well, it just was well, because yeah, I don't like it when the Mandela effect happens in real time. It's a bo- like when it bother I'm sitting you there. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I just, I'm looking at the map and I just watch Australia slowly creep across the ocean. Yeah. They can, I understand how that could be a little it's, disturbing. It's, uh, it's, uh, I don't, yeah. The Mandela effect, I'm Mandela affected and it's, uh, not a condition that's recognized currently by psychiatry. I see. And that, well, 
one might say that I'm the most oppressed because of that. You but do you do seem oppressed. I'm very oppressed. I mean, if you have multiple personality disorder, if you have autism, mm-hmm. if you have uh, anxiety disorder, if you have gender dysphoria, these things are all rec- recognized and there are groups. There's no groups for people that, that remember Nelson Mandela dying and then being back again. And then dying again, even sure. though no one saw him in the interim. It, they just threw another funeral for him like 20 years later. Is there... And, and pretended that it was real. And everyone was like, hmm? Yeah, but go ahead. A little, I guess, a little production question. Is there on, on the podcast players, is there like a box I can check to say that this is a special needs podcast? Oh yeah. Since maybe you're Mandela so. affected, I figure maybe that would get us a little It's also Latino owned. Yeah. I think and operated. Who which one because of us is I, Latino? Well, I like to listen to um you know that song that goes I I I I Okay. All right. I yeah, like so you're one. you're Latino. Okay. Yeah, I can yeah. do that with so we're um minority and special needs podcast. Yeah, we're Minority Special Needs Podcast, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. We're also uh, disabled mm-hmm. because we um, t- today I wanted to talk about people with heart transplants. Sweet. So that yeah, but anyway, yeah. So this and again, this is all going to be clear of why this is tied to Jason Snyder, the great homesteading guru, uh, in time who we have an interview with later. Cool. But you may not, listener, it may not be clear to you until months later, perhaps, mm-hmm. the connection. Yeah. You gotta wait for the Mandela effect to kick in. But I, yeah, you gotta wait for the Mandela effect to kick in. But I, I was, uh, I was, uh, spread up. are you familiar with the phenomenon dubbed cell memory? No. Cell memory. This is not this is not a this is not a crackpot theory that is existing on the fringes. This is a real theory that is in bandied about in the halls of academia. Which may okay. mean it's less credible. Right. Yeah, it might. Yeah. But we'll go with that anyway. Right. But i I'm just saying you could say this at a dinner party to someone that listens to NPR and they would they could be like even if they don't know what it is, you could say like, oh, but like someone at Harvard thinks this. Oh, right. And then they could talk about it. Okay. Right. Because it's on the if, approved list of topics. Yeah, it's an approved list of topics. And so you don't have to feel embarrassed about it. Like, you know, suggesting that if there is atmospheric refraction causing light to bend um, around to, towards your eye because of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm horizontally as the sun comes up then wouldn't there also be vertically as you go up and that would be like why the earth looks like a sphere (laughs) when you go high because of refraction you don't have to get into that no it's not necessary it's not necessary to that's not an approved topic but this you could be like this is an approved topic and so 
Uh, sell, and this goes back to the Egyptians. Not really, but it sort of does. Because number 15 and I were, were not arguing, but we were texting, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, I know. Um, you know, used to, <clears throat> for a long time, the Egyptians, when you would die, what did they do to your brain? You remember? They would pull it out. They pull it out and put just throw it in it away. a jar. Wait, I thought they put it in a canoptic jar. No, they did that with all your good organs. Your brain okay. was trash. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, they pulled it out through your nose and they just tossed it. Man. Goobers. Because, well, because uh, I don't, the the standard explanation of this is that they thought it was trash. Okay. I'm not sure that that's evidence that they thought it was trash or just evidence that they couldn't pull it out intactly. And so they were like, well, this is no good. Okay. Because the other organs you can cut open. Mm-hmm. The abdomen and pull out, right? And store. If you're into storing your, if you're into storing your dead uncle's organs, that's an easier way. There's an easy way to do that. Yeah, right. This brain is a bit. You'd have to crack the skull open, and that gets messy. And then you can't really sew it back together well. And then the brain doesn't. The brain is very mushy, and if you pull it out, it just sort of falls apart anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, my thought has always been that they wanted to store the brain, but it just wasn't feasible. And so they said, and then they eventually came to, oh, you don't need it. Yeah. And so maybe that reinforced the idea that you don't need it. Okay. Because you, you could store it. But the afterlife still went on, even though it was mushy. I don't know. Um, But anyway, they did believe, rather, that your... Like, when you think, where do you think your thoughts come from? Where does it feel like they're coming from? My brain in my head. Right, you feel like they're sort of happening, like, behind mm-hmm. your eyes. Yep. But apparently, the Egyptians and many ancient peoples, when you ask them where are your thoughts located, they would say, they would point to their chest and their heart. Mm-hmm. Which is strange to think about, because it feels so natural that our thoughts are in our heads. Right. But maybe that's just cultural conditioning. Could be. To, like, idolization of the mind. Yeah. But anyway, they believed that your thoughts were coming from, like, your heart or maybe your whole body. hmm And this idea has renewed resurgence in medicine. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Uh, and it has for a while, and it's still not, like, the mainstream opinion, but it's one floating around that's an acceptable... A uh, weird thing for you to believe. You know, there's certain acceptable weird things for you to believe. Right. In the in the discourse. Like, one is that we could load up our consciousness to a computer. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, we're still... Even though PDFs haven't advanced since 1997. <laughs> one day, very soon, we will upload our entire consciousness onto uh, chips. Right, and you can believe that, and that feels fine for people. Right. Um, other things, weird things that you can believe, um, is that uh, human beings, they're, they're like, 10,000 years ago, there were all different kinds of species of human beings running around yep. in a little hobbit world. Mm-hmm. That there were tiny hobbit people, and there were Denisovans, and there were... Um, Neanderthals and yep. all these things, and you can you can pretend that the world was a uh, was a fairyland mm-hmm. where 
uh, of Grog of uh, Grog and Krong, mm-hmm. <laughs> who walked around, right? Yeah. yeah. With uh, and there weren't dinosaurs yet, but there may have no, been. No, of course not. That'd be tigers. ridiculous. Right, yeah. or saber tooth tigers, and, and so you can pretend a different. You know, there's all sorts of weird things that are approved. You believe, and this is one of them, um, which is that memories are not simply stored in DOS brain. Okay. Right, and as you if, as you know, listener, I don't believe memories are stored anywhere at all, physically. That that's just, I mean, that's a, maybe a topic for another day. But I don't see how uh, uh, it doesn't even like a memory being stored biologically does it is very much harder to justify than like on a because a computer is basically you're writing it down. Yep, you're just using ones and zeros to write it down rather than a piece of paper and a pencil. But but the the it's hard to see how that would be analogous in any way in the brain because the it, it just I don't I don't think that it would I don't think that it works like that because all of your memories that you have when you start thinking about them and if you wanted to translate them into terms of like terabytes like all of the information you get from one moment like the colors in the room and the smells and your emotions and the names of the it's if you take a if you take some of those and add them all together, it's terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data. Yeah, that would never be. It just seems hard to now. People will say, but you don't really. You only really remember a few key points, and then your brain just makes up the rest, mm-hmm. which is true to some extent. Like the color of someone's shirt in a memory is often just manufactured by the memory, right? Because you don't, you don't really store the non-important details. Well, but yeah, neurologists have have tried to figure out like where the memories are written down in the brain or how, and I think they've it's been a complete failure for them to even come up with a decent theory of how memory works. Because I mean, there's electrical activity happening, but there's not there's no write process and there's no records in there. I mean, you can look at the stuff. And there's no data um right written down anywhere in the brain. You know what I mean by written down. It's not it's not biochemically evident that any information has been stored in the in the yeah, brain matter. Yeah. Yeah. If it if it is stored in the brain, it's stored in some extremely complex way on like the atomic scale. Right. Which is eh, dubious, maybe. But like it'd be like the way your your um the electron shell arrangement of the atoms in your neurons or something. Yeah, it would have it to would be, be something, something crazy. so discreet. Right. Yeah. So I don't I doubt that memories are stored anywhere and and rather that it is it is some sort of well, it's some sort of other thing where like I don't even really know how to explain it. It's just like I, I like the brain as the antenna model more than mm-hmm. anything, but and that you're like self-resonant with yourself in the past. Yeah, or like the the spiritual organism transcends the bounds of space-time and you're once you pass through some space-time you're forever present there. Even if your, you know, temporal instance of your body is stuck in the present. Yeah, I think you are resonating with the past that still exists. Mhm. Like 
I think all of time exists. You just experience it at different. You experience it in slices, which we call now. But that it still exists somewhere. Yeah. And then when you have a memory, you're connecting back to that thing. Well, they tried to visualize it in that that old movie, Donnie Darko. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. Where they were walking around with these, like, tubes projecting forward and back, representing, like, their path through space-time. Yeah, there's, they call that your time worm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and ti- I think that was, that was a decent attempt to sort of... It's like your spirit is still present at all the times you've experienced, and you can reach back there and look at it again. Yeah. So, self, so memory, cell memory theory is the next jump down to explain that. And, and I think, you know, it may be, I would explain it a different way, but this is like, they're like, well, we can't find it in the brain. Maybe memories are stored in the cells. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Like on a cellular level somehow. Mm-hmm. And then they say, well, if that's true, would organ donor recipients receive the memories of their donors? Weird. And the answer, some some have said, some doctors have said, like an, an article, this is what prompted me for this week, was by a certain M.B. Leister, who wrote a, he wrote a, he wrote a paper uh, called Personality Changes Following Heart Transplantations, The Role of Cellu- Cellular Memory Medical Hypotheses in 2019. Ooh. This was banded about. And this has been this has been a recurring thing. There's lots of papers, if you look at this, they go mm-hmm. back to the 60s even. Okay. Of people talking about this. But um, sometimes it appears, it appears that people that receive... Um, Organ donations get some memories or personality traits of the people that um, they receive their organs from, which is a bit, bit weird. Yeah. Um. So also then be careful. You should. That brings up the specter of you know you need to screen who your organ donor is. Right. Because I don't know if I, you know you don't want the memories and emotions of an axe murderer. I know it could drive you insane. It could be it could be a problem, you know. But so um, I I was looking into this a little bit for the show, and I found uh, some some nice ones. One uh, in the Journal of Near Death Studies. The uh, you know, it sounds a, like a good a, read. It's a it's a it's a proper journal. I know it doesn't sound like it, but it's a proper journal with medicine people in it. And uh, they cite sources and all the whole things, you know? Yeah. And it was called Changes in Heart Transplant Recipients that Parallel the Personalities of Their Donors. And it organizes, it, it outlines a couple of cases. First case is this. The donor was an 18-year-old boy killed in a car accident. The recipient, an 18-year-old girl, diagnosed with endocarditis and subsequent heart failure. Now, this was before the vaccines. Okay. I was about to ask. <laughs> this was before the vaccines. And did you see that? Did you see that? That horrible. Uh, they had a article in. Um, Talk about the po- New York Post. Yeah, the New York Post saying like, <laughs> you know, the previously un un really recognized heart attack thing of twenty two year old women. 
it's amazing like, the way they're trying to like retcon this thing. Oh yes, twenty year old women and healthy twenty year old women have heart attacks all the time. It's just we haven't talked. We've and never really noticed until now. <laughs> and the thing is, listener, that's happened. Oh man, for everything that's ever existed. Yeah, just watch it. Watch it happen in real time. How I think, heart attacks are going to get normalized for young people. I think it's not normal for you to die at eighty. Or whatever. I think you're supposed to live to like 120, and people have retconned it because of all our environment so bad. People are like, yeah, this is the normal age. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm inclined to agree with you on that, too. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think there's a lot. I think almost everything you've ever been taught has been retconned. Um, this one we get to watch happen, though, which is This one we get fun. to watch happen in real time. Right. But this, anyway, this case was before the vaccines. And the donor's father, so the boy that died's father, a psychiatrist, wrote uh, when they when they asked him about his son. He said, my son always wrote poetry. We waited for more than a year to clean his room out after he died, and we found a book of poems he had never shown us, and we've never told anyone about them. One of them has left us shaken emotionally and spiritually. It spoke of seeing his own sudden death. He was a musician, too, and we found a song titled, Danny, My Heart is Yours. The words are about how my son felt he was destined to die and give his heart to someone. Whoa. Spooky. Spooky time. He, uh, I would not, I don't think I would be the sort of person that if I had the, I, I would not like that gift of knowing those details about my future. Nah, me neither. It would be weird for me. Uh, he decided to donate his organs when he was 12. We thought it was quite strong, but we thought we were talking about it in school. But thought they were talking about it in school. When we met his recipient, we were so... We didn't know like what it was. We don't know now. We just don't know. And the recipient reported. Um, so remember the song that they found in his in his uh, room after he died was called "Danny, My Heart Is Yours," and the person that received it was a girl named Danielle. Ooh, what? Who received his heart? Right, and she said, "This is the recipient." She said, "When they showed me a picture of their son, I knew him directly." I would have picked him out anywhere. He's in me. I know he's in me. And he is in love with me. So this is like a creepy after death <laughs> heart transplant emotional love song love story. Whoa. That I ne never. And she goes on to say he was always my lover, maybe in another time somewhere. So this has gotten this. This one immediately got weird. Yeah. Case one immediately got weird. Ladies, please don't do things like this. <laughs> don't fall in love with your organ donor. Right. <laughs> That's very strange. But see, women like that because women like to, women like safe love. And and tragedy. And tragedy. Yeah. And like a story. So like, if she could ready-made have a romance with a tragic death. Mm-hmm. That she'd ever had to experience the yeah. negative emotions about? Ah, that's just like living a romance novel. And she can say, like, my heart literally belongs to this dude. Yeah. So don't do that, ladies. Stop yeah. it. Stop it now. If you ever... <laughs> and so she said, how would he know my name is Danielle? And then when they played me some of his music, I could finish the phrases of his songs. Ooh, well, I mean, you know... Can do That's that. not so hard sometimes. Yeah. Depends on but, how creative he was, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Still, I mean, the like, whole Danny, the Danny thing. That's kind of crazy. That's very creepy. But if it's like, uh, yeah, if his song is like, 
We went down to the get a dime. We didn't have much. And you're like, time? You know, I was, was going to say limes. Not... What, limes? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Yeah, my, so that's a bit weird. And she finishes is saying like, uh, I feel his songs at night like it's Paul serenading me. So that woman is just cre- creepy. Yeah. And she should be, she should be. But the Danny's heart things. Um, the recipient's father, Danielle's father, said, my daughter, say what you will. She was what you say, a hellraiser until she got sick. Uh, they say from a dentist, they think. I don't know what that means. Like she got some heart. She was well, then she became quite quiet. I think it was her illness, but she said she felt more energy, not less. She said she wanted to play an instrument and sing. When she wrote her first song, she sang about her new heart as her lover's heart. And that, so that 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 case is both interesting from the perspective of like um, the recipient receiving emotions from the person and yeah. the, for, the psychic knowledge of the donor and also from a uh, psychological necrophilia angle. Mm-hmm. Very many interesting points of that case. Yes. Uh, I don't like Danielle. <clears throat> I don't know who she is, but she creeps me out. Or that, like that. If I saw, if I knew a woman that started talking about how she was in love with her organ donor, yeah, I would have to recede and break our friendship off. <laughs> that this is this is weird. You have to get the no, thank you. You know, the second case outlined in this one was a donor was a 16 month old boy who drowned in a bathtub. Oof. Yeah, that's very sad. The recipient, so, but this one, thankfully, will probably not have romance undertones. Okay. There's that. Right. Yes. I'm just letting you know that. So I, I was reading through this and I was like, oh, good. That's how disturbed I was by the first one. I was like, oh, good. A 16 month old is dead. Because this won't have any sexual weird things on it. Yeah. And so that was relieved. The first case made me very like, oh. Um, and the recipient was a seven-month-old boy, so a 16-month-old boy giving his heart to a seven-month-old boy diagnosed okay. with terology of phallic. I I don't know what. It's a syndrome, if you look it up, involving a hole in the ventricle septum. Okay. But it's the terology of phallic. Okay. So it, and a displacement of the aorta and a bunch of stuff. Pulmonary stenosis. It's bad. Okay. <clears throat> um. So the donor's mother, who was a physician herself, said, the first thing is that I could more than hear Jerry, that was her son's heart. I could, I don't, I don't know what this is. This is, gets a little weird, right? But she's talking about, she could feel her son's energy, like his spirit alive still because it was in another person still beating. Ooh. Like she, she felt like part of him had not died in her soul. She felt like part of it had not died. Right in his in his thing. Right. <clears throat> um, the recipient's mother reported. I saw Carter go to her, the donor's mother. Uh, he never does that. He is very very shy. But he just went to her. So he went. So Carter, the one that received the heart, went to the donor's mother. He mm-hmm. ran to her normally being very shy. And he ran up to her, apparently like he did, like 
like the the donor child Jerry did when he was a baby. Mm-hmm. And he grabbed her and whispered, "It's okay, Mama." Whoa. Yeah. Exactly. This is this whole uh, re- researching this always makes me like be like maybe organ donation should be banned. That's just so weird, man. Yeah, I don't maybe know organ how, if I was in that like, situation, I don't know that I would handle that real well. I wouldn't either. Yeah, I would not. Um, yeah, I would not either. Um, I mean, it's beautiful that it's okay, Mama, but still, holy smokes! Right, and he, and so Carter was continued talking to her for just a minute, mm-hmm. and um, the, he talked about Jerry, the the donor child, having mild cerebral palsy on his left side. Yeah. And he didn't like well in in like a in like a you know um I know this is like it's and people are like this is a seven month old but this is like a couple of years later when they reunited people okay. are like this is seven month old okay right but um uh, somehow the claim is that the child knew or described the donor having mild cerebral palsy like he's like and my face used to be stiff or something like that. Right. Whoa. Right. Which makes me I'm like, if this if this is if any of this is real, maybe we shouldn't organ transplant because we're doing like some weird Frankenstein thing. Yeah. Which uh and like mixing up the souls of people. Maybe the Egyptians are right and like your soul is more confined to your heart, and so a heart transplant is like really um metaphysically problematic. Well it's funny because when people talk about the idea of a brain transplant, they think, mm-hmm. oh, it would be more of a body transplant because you would the brain is the part that has the mind in it. But then what if it wasn't? So what if you did a brain transplant right. and you got a new brain, but you were the same person? Oh, you know what I mean? Yes. And then they dispo- yeah. they disposed of the wrong things. <laughs> we have to we have to do a brain transplant just to see what happens. Oh, yeah. Like, do you that would be weird. Like, do you get, yeah, what if you were, like, the same person, and people but are like, with oh, somebody man. else's thoughts, something. Yeah, so it's like, well, where'd Bob go? Yeah. If you're still Steve, where's Bob? Where is Bob? Right. <laughs> I think this is not, so this is something we're not going to be clear on until we do the first brain transplant. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, maybe we could get Fauci to try it with dogs, with beagles. He probably already has. Yeah. Uh, after he he puts uh, flies on their face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this was case three. Now this one again. I don't know why so many of these cases have to involve uh, weird sexuality. Okay, but they do. Well, this is apparently a problem. So this was a twenty-four-year-old female dying in a car accident. Okay, and the recipient was a twenty-five-year-old male suffering from cystic fibrosis. Okay. Who received a heart lung transplant. And the recipient said, the, the 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 boy said, I never told anyone at first, but I thought having a woman's heart would make me gay. So. No. Yeah. Already. Yeah. But he says, since my surgery, I've been hornier than ever. And <laughs> what? Woman... Right. And women seem to look at me even more erotic and sensually. So I thought I might have gotten 
internal transsexual surgery, which is true. Like he got, he's got the heart of a woman. Yeah. So uh, it is like internal transsexual surgery in a way. Sort of. Okay. And he said, my doctor told me it was just my new energy and lease on life that made me feel that way. But I'm different. I know I'm different. I make love like I know exactly how the woman's body feels and responds, almost as if it's my body. I have the same body, but I still think I've got a woman's way of thinking about sex now. Weird. Right. The recipient's girlfriend reported, he's a much better lover now. Of course, he was weaker before, but it's not that. He's like, I mean, he just knows my body as well as I do. Um, Before, he was a good lover, but not like this. It's just different. He wants to hug all the time and go shopping. <laughs> he didn't. She didn't say that. Hug all the time she and did. go shopping. No, she did. She says that. I thought the, you. I thought you just threw that in at the end. No, that's the. Oh, that is super weird. Whoa. Yeah. So man. if you get a heart from a woman, you may become semi-transsexual. Okay. Oh man. I mean, could it be? Maybe. I mean, who knows? We don't really know how much our organs affect our brain's sexual thoughts. Yeah. And which ones do. Like, maybe people talk about, I love you with my heart and stuff like that, because it does affect your, maybe we intuit that Mm -hmm. our heart is affecting our emotional romance love. I don't know. Yeah. But it could be. I I could sort of believe that. But anyway, he didn't come out completely gay. But, uh, and his girlfriend seemed to like it. So what you take away from that is one, if you get a woman's organs, you may become gay or vice versa. If a it sounds a like he organ. turned out more like Edward the vampire kind of character. Yeah, exactly. Or it'll make you, which is vampires are transsexuals, right? Or, okay. And, um, yeah, so it's, it, it might make you, uh, it, it might be it might be a problem. I don't know. Maybe when you're in there, you should be a little more questioning, like whose heart you're getting. Yeah, I think maybe I'm too old to get a to like qualify for a heart transplant at this point. So they, they're like, nah, we're gonna give it to somebody younger. Yeah, this is for the younger people who are yeah. like like uh, Lanky Elvis, right? So he doesn't become gay, right? Careful out there, Lanky. <laughs> He's gonna become a transsexual walking around. Uh, going shopping. I don't, nah, he would never. He would if he had a woman's heart. But what right. if you, I, my question is, what if you get uh, women's other things, like a spleen? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, right. What, what exactly. is the spleen? Like, what part of the personality comes from the spleen? Yeah, I don't know. We have to, I think maybe we should, do, There should. surely there's been a lot of organ donation done and a lot of cross-sex organ donation done. Surely we could like do a study about like how personality changes based on the organ, and then that would tell us like which organs mm-hmm. influence which thoughts. That would be very interesting. That seems like, like a reasonable thing to study. Yeah, you could study that in a completely normy way. Well, if we and, put if we put if we also while we're studying this put flesh eating flies on everybody's faces, we can get an NIH grant. Right now, case four in this study, the donor was a seventeen-year-old. African-American male, Mm -hmm. victim of a drive-by shooting. Okay. The recipient, now you see you're not too old, was a 47-year-old Caucasian male foundry worker diagnosed with erotic stenosis. Okay. Right. Shortly after, uh, the recipient was found to be enjoying chicken and waffles. 
and to be uh, in, You're involved in the in the rap scene. You're joking. He wore with me. Do- I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 let's not. Let, but I, 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 I joke. But let's. Uh, is the case the real, where did the joke the real start? Case is, the... is not is not so off. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, All right. Pull it together. So the the seventeen year old black kid, okay, right, was the victim of a drive by shooting. He was, and he was a he was a he was a classical black, mm-hmm. in that he was walking to violin class. Oh, red. And no, they weren't shooting at him. Okay, they were shooting at someone else, and it was a stray bullet, and he, and he died. Mm-hmm. He died right there on the street, hugging his violin case. He loved music and his teachers, and uh, he had a real thing for it. He would listen to music and play along. I think he would have been at Carnegie Hall someday. This was his donor's mother. Yeah. Right. Um, the recipient reported. Uh, this was his. Again, this is a, this is one of the older papers that I found. Um. <laughs> so he said, "I'm real sad and all for the guy who died and gave me his heart. I'm real sad and all, but I have really had trouble with the fact that he was black. <laughs> I'm not racist, mind you." Dude, be thankful, bro. <laughs> not, not at all. I love this because it's like the classic. I'm not right. racist. Statement. Right. He said, "I'm." He says, "I'm uncomfortable with the fact he was black." Comma. But I'm not. But I'm not racist. <laughs> I'm not racist, comma. Mind you, not at all. Semicolon. Uh huh. Most of my friends at the plant are black. Right. So it's the classic. I'm not racist. I uh-huh. have black friends. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea there's a black heart in my white body seems really. I don't know. I told my wife I thought my penis might grow. <laughs> You're kidding. No, you added that in. I swear he says that in this paper. <laughs> That's so awful. After oh. we have sex, I sometimes feel guilty because a black man made love to my wife, but I don't really think that seriously. I can tell you one thing, though. I used to hate classical music. But now I love that. Now I love it. So I know it's not my new heart, because a black guy from the hood wouldn't be into that. So he didn't know. He didn't know. Ooh, weird. Right. Now, so racist foundry worker who thinks his penis will grow after having a heart transplant, and but then says, I know that it can't be. Yeah. Because I'm into classical music. That's some delicious so really irony that what he gets out not, of it was. <laughs> what I said at the beginning was maybe less racist yeah. <laughs> than what actually happened, which is why I wanted to prime you. Okay, okay. <laughs> he says, um, I play classical music all the time. I more than like it. I didn't tell any of the guys in the line that I have a black heart, but I think about it a lot. So his, his wife said he was more concerned about the idea when he heard it was a black man's heart. He actually asked the doctor if they could come up with a white person's. He's no Archie Bunker, but he does. <laughs> Sounds come like an Archie it. Bunker, <laughs> <laughs> but he's close to it. Yeah, <laughs> and he would kill you if I told you this. But then for the first time, he's invited black friends over from work. <laughs> so what? now he's like, he's like, listen, I'm also black now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm also black now. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. It's like against. 
all his expectations, you know, yeah. and preconceptions about what would happen to him, he ends up loving classical music and has no idea. Yeah, and his wife, uh, just to put a racist cherry on the top, ends her statement with, he whistles classical music songs uh, than he could ever know. How does he know them? You'd think he'd like rap music or something. <laughs> that's what it says on page 198 of this long oh, case study. Oh, that's great. On page 198 of this case study that goes on and on of various cases. Yeah. Uh, that was a good one. I don't... I almost feel like that's a troll because it's so... Yeah. But apparently this is a real person. I don't know. Uh, I'll do, we'll do a few more. <laughs> These are great. <clears throat> okay. This was the case of a 14-year-old girl mm -hmm. who died in a gymnastics accident. Okay. And the recipient, again, was a 47-year-old man diagnosed with benign myxoma and cardiomyopathy. Okay. Okay. So a 47-year-old uh, man got a 14-year-old girl's heart? Yes. I mean, I don't know why that seems weird to me, but the age differential just seems like... Yes, but I, I guess agree. you've got a really healthy heart as the as the recipient. Yeah, maybe he was a smaller man because they tried a size match. Okay, maybe he's a small. I don't know. But so the the donor's mother reported, my daughter was the picture of health. This, there wasn't an ounce of fat on her. She was a gymnast, and her coach could lift her above his, his head with one hand. She was so she was so excited about life. She would just hop and jump all the time, <clears throat> like a kitten. She had some trouble with food though. She would skip meals and. I think we might call her a little anorexic. We took her to therapy about it, but she just wasn't much into food. And she had this silly little giggle when she would get embarrassed. It sounded a little like a bird. And the recipient, the 47-year-old man, said, when interviewed, said, I feel new again, like a teenager. I actually feel giddy. I know it's just the energy of the new heart, but I really feel younger in every way, and not just physically. I see the world that way. I'm really young at heart. I have this annoying tendency to giggle. It drives my wife nuts. And there's something about food. I don't know what it is. I get hungry, but after I eat, I feel nauseated and like it would help if I threw up. Whoa. Yeah. Maybe a lot of your personality is actually contained in the heart. Maybe that is not just a... Maybe we say that because it's true and we sort right. of feel that. Yeah. You know? That's wild. Mm-hmm. The brothers, the recipient's brother said... um, he claimed, uh, he's got a weird laugh now, like a girl's laugh. We tell him and he doesn't care. His appetite never did bounce back after the surgery. He's pretty much nauseated all the time. After Thanksgiving dinner, and he loved it, he went upstairs and vomited. So Weird. Yeah, dude, that is weird. You may, it is, it may be possible that if you receive a significant organ from someone else, like, I don't know if this will happen with a skin graft. Right. Like, maybe if you get a skin graft from a black guy, you don't develop a love of classical music. Mm-hmm. Or a larger penis. Who knows? Sure. Well, it depends on which skin it is. Yeah, though. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, uh, uh, but maybe, like, a liver or an organ or an, uh, who knows about an eyeball? Like, how would your eyeball affect you? Ew. Can they do like eyeball if, transplants? I don't no, know. they can't. It's only in sci-fi. Right. But if you could, would you, would you quote, start to see the world, quote unquote, yeah. in the same way they would? Like, 
would you pick up on things you like not beyond just like visual mechanical input? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> would you begin to like have a, a worldview like they did? Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> see? Well, let's see. Yeah. They, you know, it makes you think of the the eyes as the windows to the soul. It's like, what if it's still the window to somebody else's soul, even after it's been yes. transplanted? <laughs> that, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why you probably shouldn't do this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> another case was the donor was a 19 year old woman suffered a broken neck in dance class. The recipient was a 19 year old woman diagnosed with cardio cardiomyopathy. Okay. So this is pretty similar. 19 year old woman to 19 year old woman. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. The donor's mother reported, we met Angela, the recipient, and she is the image of our daughter. They could almost be twins. They're both bright girls. I mean, my daughter was bright, too. She wanted to be an actress, but we thought she had too much academic potential for that. Her father is a doctor and really wanted her to follow in his footsteps. The donor's father uh, reported, Stacy was extremely bright. That's the donor. It's mm-hmm. so tragic. She would have made an outstanding physician, but she wanted to dance and sing, and that's how she died. She fell in dance class. We always argued good-naturedly about how disappointed I would be if she went to Hollywood instead of Harvard. I hope she knew I just wanted her to be happy. Mm. Okay, so the two parents, physician, wanted her to be... The recipient said, I think of her as my sister. I think we must have been sisters in a former life. A lot of these people tend to have former life beliefs. Okay. I only know my donor was a girl my age, but it's more than that. I talk to her at night when I'm sad. I feel her answering me. I can feel it in my chest. I put my left hand there and press it with my right. It's like I can connect with her. Sometimes she seems sad. I think she wanted to be a nurse or something, but other times it's like she wanted to be on Broadway. I think she wanted to be on Broadway more. I want to be a nurse, but I could be a doctor too. I hope she will be happy because she will always be my angel, my sister in my chest that I carry with me everywhere. So she had no idea that this woman wanted to be a dancer or an actress, but she says, I think she wanted to be on Broadway. But Whoa. maybe she also wanted to be a nerd. Right. So like somehow she picks up on these things. Mm-hmm. How, how is that explainable? Unless memories are maybe stored or at least like, I would say if memory, if my theory of memory is correct and they're sort of like you're resonant with the past, then part of your body would likewise be resonant. Like part of your new body parts. Right. Would be resonant. With the, with the past also, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, yeah, and <clears throat> there was another one in another article. Um, this was some recipients develop the same aversions or aversions to new things uh, after obtaining a new heart. For example, a five-year-old boy received the heart of a three-year-old boy, but was not told the age or cause of his donor's death. Still, he offered the following description of his donor following surgery. The, the recipient said, uh, he's just a little kid. He's a little brother, like about half my age. He got hurt bad when he fell down. He likes Power Rangers a lot, I think, just like I used to. I don't like them anymore, though. The donor died falling from an apartment window while trying to reach a Power Ranger toy that had fallen off the ledge. Oh, dude. <sighs> yeah. So, now, can I verify these cases personally? No. But uh, many people have written about these things. This is a recurring theme that mm-hmm. happens. It doesn't seem to happen every time. Maybe in 10 to 15% of cases, people report something like this. Okay. Why that would be not every time. I don't know. Maybe people just don't recognize it happening. Maybe it's so outside their window of what could happen. They don't realize that they became gay 
after sur- heart surgery because they got a woman's heart? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Is it a coincidence that homosexuality rose culturally with organ donation? I don't think so. No, I, I think, think that's so a coincidence. I don't. I think. I think. In fact, if you look at the data, almost all gay men are heart transplant <laughs> Shut uh, <up>. recipients. <laughs> Like if you look at the data, yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. But uh, no, I don't know. But that it it raises the question: Is it is it does it work like that? Who who knows? And this will be super relevant to the interview with Jason Snyder. Awesome, coming up soon. I mean, extremely relevant. You'll be like, "Wow, this is so relevant. This makes total sense why this is there." But you know what the the thing is though. I don't know that all of our listeners are going to understand the relevance. No. Well, they're not all, you know, super smart people. Some of them are. Well, they are. The thing is, I think you have, I think it's one of those things where like, if you've been listening to the, the other podcast on the St. Nicholas Project, you'll get it more. Oh, okay. If you, if you've been listening to the other Gumroad podcasts on St. Nicholas Project for at least $7 a month. You'll understand more all things, not just this thing. <laughs> you know the problem is the problem is uh, there's no way you can top the promo from the last show. I know. Well, that too. But the 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 thing is, uh, it, it makes me sad because doing like uh, stupid commercials mm-hmm. uh, actually seems to get more people to go sign up for it, which makes me be like, see, everyone is just no one's immune to marketing, not even our listeners. It's true. It is. It is a sad realization when you learn. You just have. To, yeah, you just have to. You just. Yeah, you just, you just tell uh, people to buy the thing, and they buy the thing. Yeah, go buy the thing. Get excited about new product, listener. Yeah, well, it's not even new product. It's it's podcasts. Yeah. That are short. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are a comp. It's a way for you to. Yeah, just. But you should go buy it. It's like a tip jar, really. If you enjoy the show. Oh, hey, we had a little before we switch over. We had a little mailbag. Oh, good. Yeah, that was important that. and relevant to our audience. So, in light of last oh, uh, week's, wait, I had one more commercial. I had one more. Commercial. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um. Yeah. So, uh, it's a, we're we're sponsored this week. We have a sponsor. Did you know that? No. What? We have a we have a real sponsor. Um. Is it Pfizer? No, it's not <laughs> Pfizer. It is. Uh, well, it's it's. Alec Baldwin, surprisingly, really has a uh, he has a he has a fireworks company and and a and a water gun company. Okay, that he's tried to merge uh-huh. together to make a new thing, and it's called uh, Baldwin's Bangers. And uh, he wanted us to he he bought uh, he bought uh, thirty seconds on this show before. Unfortunately, he. He had the the accident, right? So I not I didn't clarify with him whether he wanted us to run this or not. Mm-hmm. After he murdered uh, two people mm-hmm. with his fake gun, which probably wasn't real, but uh, I thought that we should uh, run it anyway, just because that was in the contract. But you know, maybe in the future, going forward, I think if we make contracts with. With potential sponsors, we should specify, like, if you kill someone in the interim, we should check with you. Right. We or re-verify. if you get a female's heart and become gay. Right. Or or a black man's heart and, and start liking rap music. Mm-hmm. 
or classical. That we should check with you or classical music. Yeah, but I didn't, and um, and so I almost, I almost did feel like there's there's going to be like some marketing thing that comes off of this. Mm-hmm. Like Baldwin will have some sort of uh, product. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. like 40% sure. After the dust has settled, you know. I'm like 40% sure this is going to become some sort of product. But I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me. But I, I just wanted to make that joke so that when it happens, I could come back and be like, see. Okay. <laughs> but I <laughs> see, told you. All right, go ahead. Oh, we had a uh, we had a great little email from Dorian, who, in light of our last show on Second Wave Slavery, recommended the book um, The Slavery of Our Times by Leo Tolstoy. Oh. And I, I'm about halfway through it. It's not a big book, uh, but it's really blowing me away in the discussion yeah. about kind of the, the slavery of the industrial age. And he talks about, and this was written in 1900-ish, and he talks about how um, these these guys unloading the ships would go and work 36 hours at a time oh, without, yeah. without sleeping. Uh, and yeah. it was all, you know, free market, man. What, what are you going to do? And But he, he goes into explain why people are being subjugated to this kind of stuff. And uh, one of the big parts of that book that really struck me was he is Tolstoy takes some time to talk about tax law. Mm. And because you got to ask you a question, especially at that time, why, why are people being basically driven off the land mm-hmm. uh, from being peasant farmers and going to these cities to work? And he identified it. I think the two, there were, I think three main points, but the two that really stood out to me were, tax law basically if you have to pay taxes especially property taxes you know being a tenant farmer or a subsistence farmer is a very low cash flow sort of situation yeah especially if you're providing all the stuff of your life uh growing your own food and so forth there's not a lot of cash and so if you have this cash demand on you that really that hits somebody like that a lot harder than it does somebody who is already a professional type. So it's mm-hmm. easier to 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 live in a in that tax environment if you're working if you're employed rather than uh, like a subsistence or farmer. Mm. Um, yeah, and then the other part of it, which was basically uh, the temptation of of city life, and he's talking about how all these women that work in the silk factories are basically going to bars all night and sleeping around and. You know, just becoming yeah, it's the, it's the same thing forever. Yeah, it, it's it was really interesting to hear Tolstoy talk about that stuff going on in you know early 1900s. Uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend the book. Thank, thank you, Dorian, for the email. Your great grandmother was just as much a whore as everybody else. <laughs> Listener, <laughs> she just doesn't talk about that with you. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you had a, if you ever received a heart transplant from an old woman, you would you would feel all of her whorish ways. Yeah. And that, and it would be the same as it is now. It's always the same. Every the, every generation of people is the exact same, <sighs> which is sort of depressing, but also sort of comforting. Yeah, which is yeah. something I think uh, is Doomer optimism, which is Jason Snyder's moniker. Sweet. So see how that segue worked? That was beautiful. It all works together. My my synthesizer's not hooked up, so I can't I can't do a sound. I'll have to put it in and post. Yeah, put it in post. We fix it all in post. This whole show is done in post. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Here comes here comes Snyder. Here comes Snyder. Ready? Here he comes. Here he comes. (sighs) So yes, thank you for doing this. 
Yeah, it's great. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, you look even more homesteady, like in live video than you do on your pictures. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I don't, I don't, um, I don't shower every day, but I uh-huh. smell okay, I think. And I also don't comb my hair very often. <laughs> right. And I don't shave that often. So it's more out of just neglect than anything else. Yeah, but the, the jacket and the flannel and everything, yeah. mm. just the, it's, it's uh, the, whole, the whole combo. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't guess you've ever listened to our show before. Uh, I haven't. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but so what uh, we are, we talk a lot about the um, American culture from the perspective of like mysticism and spirituality, okay. supernatural, paranormal stuff. Okay, sounds good. And yeah. also, we have a vein of like checking out of society, uh-huh. out of getting away from alienation, and also just pure self-preservation. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, your stuff fits in very well there. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I, I'm also interested in the evolution of consciousness, and uh-huh. um, you know, uh, that kind of stuff as well. So. It should be an interesting conversation. We can dip dip in and out back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So if our listeners aren't familiar, uh, Jason Snyder is a aren't you you're a college professor also, aren't you? I am. I'm a, I teach. I'm not like an ad, I'm not like a tenure track anything. I I teach. Right. Uh, okay. Adjunct faculty. Yeah. Yeah. They don't give away those uh positions easily these days. They don't. And to be honest, um, and I don't think this is just cope. I don't think I would want to pursue that track just because uh-huh. it's too much freaking work, man. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, you have to like do all of these meetings and, uh, you know, research and teaching. And I'd rather just kind of, my wife is doing that. So she's tenor track. Yeah. Um, I'd rather just teach um, and then work on my homestead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty happy just kind of, you know, being kind of chill about it and yeah, you know, stuff around the home. And what and what do you teach? Uh, so I teach a, a couple courses. I, I this summer I taught or I helped to teach an agroecology course. Uh-huh. I teach a course called Principles of Sustainable Development, which is just kind of you know talking about you know a lot of issues related to like ecology and energy um, and you know just uh, you know what 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 is a you know, a better path of development than yeah. we've been on for a while. Um, I'm teaching like a course next semester called sustainable communities or sustainable economies and community development. And I'm kind of just, I don't know what that's going to be exactly yet. It could basically yeah. be whatever I want. Yeah. Um, but they're all, they're nice. They're all kind of just kind of generalist classes where I can just bring in a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of stuff that I find online um, have interesting conversations with you know, 18 to 20 year olds. Uh, and you know, uh, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. So do you, do you find that 18 to 20 year olds are interested in that sort of lifestyle? Is that like a vein there or are they just sort of there? Like, what do you think Um, the odds are that Gen Z takes up homesteading? Yeah, it, it varies. Uh, there's definitely some that are interested in homesteading. There's some that like, you know, work on farms or, or want to start homesteading and th- things of that nature. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it really varies. Uh, I think after they get through my class, they might be more likely yeah, to yeah. go towards that path because 
you know, especially the first half of the semester for the principal's course, you know, you know, it's kind of like shock and awe a little bit. Like <laughs> things are things are not going well. Um, right. And then the second half of the semester, I'm trying to be more optimistic and be like, hey, these are some cool stuff that's you know that's going on. You know, uh, we talk about like regenerative agriculture. Uh, talk about like um, like you know the, the prospect of like cosmo local production um, uh-huh. and you know kind of incorporating kind of digital digital technology and and localization of production and and things of that nature and so I, you know I try and bring in like more hopeful yeah uh, yeah yeah because I've noticed I just anecdotally driving around mm. I notice a lot more people like developing a backup option mm-hmm. whether it's like a, a store-bought shed from my home depot in their backyard yeah. or an rv mm-hmm. or something or or just like a lot of people seem to be worried that uh, i think people sense something is off even if they can't articulate it yeah and they're making moves i'm not sure in the best directions all the time right but i didn't right. know if gen z was picking up on that also or if they were just yeah tiktoking yeah, they. I get the sense. Um, well, it's interesting to get the perspective of Gen Z um, yeah. because you know I'm realizing one that I'm not that young anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm like over double, like double their age now, and I still, you know, I still remember being 18 like it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, right, right. but but I but I do think that like the weight of the world is heavier on their shoulders, and they feel that. Mm. Um, I get that sense. Right. Um, and I also get the sense that a lot of them are pretty savvy with regards to technology and, th- and they recognize that, you know, um, there's a lot of agendas out there and, mani- you know, algorithmic manipulation and things of that nature. And so they're, they're kind of skeptical, uh, like a yeah. healthy skepticism of stuff. And so they kind of see like something like Facebook is kind of like a millennial boomer thing. Like we're actually just oh. having that today. And that's something that somebody brought up and it's like, yeah, like, I don't think they're on board. You know, I don't, I don't know if at least, at least the ones that I talked to who would take this class right. um, seem to have a pretty good head on their shoulders. Uh, I can't speak for the general population, but self-selection. Sure. Yeah, um, I can't imagine they would be, like, I don't, they use social media, but not in the same way of like plastering their, their personal life all over it. Like, Facebook-wise. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they use it differently. Um, yeah. And I think they've seen, you know, they've seen the millennial generation, you know, and like, you know, it's, it's, when you're inside of it, you know, a lot of millennials have recognized that like, wow, this stuff is really not healthy. This stuff is really uh-huh. messing with our brains. But, you know, I can imagine for them, it's like they're kind of seeing it from the outside, you know, even yeah. though they have their own stuff like TikTok and right, you know, right, right. Stuff. But, but I think they, you know, they, they have a little bit more kind of, critical skepticism of the whole thing. That, that's a, that's a sense I get. Um, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's good. <clears throat> yeah. So you, and you, you sort of brought this up a little bit, but one of the first things that I saw you say that made me start following you was use the term doomer optimist Yeah. or doomer yeah. optimism. And uh-huh. I love that term because I've also felt like a doomer optimist, maybe for different yeah. reasons, but yeah. like things are, things are really, there's a lot of problems. Yeah. But also, a lot of opportunities yeah. that come with that. So like, where is, what do you mean when you talk about doomer optimism? Like, what are you doomed about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, right. Yeah. 
Well, so that term came up. Uh, I didn't coin it. It was uh, the Rhizoma School account. Um, sure. But it was it came from kind of a conversation that, you know, some of us were having. You know, I, I, I had expressed it earlier in terms of like this feeling of like, you know, things are really dark and, you know, or, you know, really, you know, difficult. Uh, and, and people can have that sense for many different reasons, right? Right, right. Um, they can have it for political reasons. They, they see, you know, decay of political institutions uh, or they see kind of authoritarian, you know, ten, you know, trends rising or, you know, I'm more of a environmentalist, you know, right, right. You know I see uh, climate issues, climate chaos. I see e ecological degradation, you know, industrial agriculture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm pretty blackpilled when it comes to that, you know, I think right. that the world and, you know, just the weather is going to get crazier and crazier and it's going to impact supply chains and energy mm -hmm. grids and, mm -hmm. you know, food supplies. And, um, you know, I, I tend to be kind of blackpilled there. And so, the, but the, so there can be many different reasons that people are, are blackpilled, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no that, shortage of reasons. <laughs> there's no shortage of reasons. And, and, and I think, you know, that's kind of people have described it as the meta crisis where yeah. there, there's just like this whole list of things to be blackpilled about. And, you know, it, it could have to do with you know, artificial intelligence and yeah, yeah. You know, the singularity and, and, you know, robots taking over, <laughs> you know, our right. brains or our bodies, uh, you know, for, so for whatever reason that you're blackpilled, so that's the doomer, but, you know, and I kind of think of this in almost in religious terms, you know, almost like, yeah, like, yeah. like, like in kind of the Christian sense of, you know, like you have to like Jesus on the cross. He 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 was crucified and he, sure. he went into hell for three days, right? right. Like you right. can't get more doomer than that. Right? <laughs> no, and, no. Right, but once you fully kind of internalized and processed, you know, spiritually, existentially, emotionally, kind of, you know, the situation we're in, then it kind of clears space. It kind of just clears open space for like, wow. Well, I'm still alive right now. I have one life. You know. Let's, you know, uh, you know, institutions are crumbling, e ecosystems are crumbling, but hey, let's see if we can build something different and better, right? Let's yeah. start something different. Let's, let's hook up with our friends. Let's create, you know, the community right. institutions that we want to see in the world. Yeah. And so that's where the optimism comes is like, hey, let's, you know, fuck nihilism. Like, let's, let's go do something. Let's, let's make a mark and create a new world. Yeah, there's a hundred percent. There's so much opportunity if yeah. you just... Once and I, I found once things fall away, for whatever mm -hmm. reason, yeah. you know, like once you once you don't have, once you lose the hope you had in the thing that you were counting on, mm. that somehow your blinders fall away and you're like, oh, look at all these opportunities to do other things. Yeah, and there's like, and before you wouldn't even see it. You're like, there's no other options. Mm -hmm. But then after you've gone through this that process you described, it's like, oh wait, the the world is full of options, you know, food can literally grow out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's you know, amazing. <laughs> you can, you can grow it, you know, you can grow it where you are. You don't have to rely yeah. on supermarket supply chains and, and, and like water will fall from the sky. Right. It's crazy. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so, exactly. uh, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So how long have you been homesteading? Like, uh, I'm, I'm still pretty new to be honest. This yeah. is only my second year. Okay, but you've done yeah. a lot in your second in two years. 
I, you know, I, I think so. Um, yeah. you know, there's a lot, I, you know, I tend to think about it in terms of there's a lot more to go, but it's nice to kind of look back and be like, okay, like starting to figure some stuff out. Um, yeah. I mean, we've gotten like the kind of, you know, the garden and chickens you yeah. know, stuff kind of, kind of going and that's, that's kind of starting to starting to click, you know? Um, but there's a lot more I want to do, right? Like I want to build, food storage, like, you know, like a you know, pantry. I want to build like a sunroom for, for stuff. You know, I, I want to get larger livestock going. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the progress, but it's like, I, I think, you know, I think of it in terms of like a 10 year, you know, yeah. a lot of trees, but like fruit and nut trees, but those aren't going to be mature for like five, 10 years. Right. Sure. So, you know, I think of it in terms of like, you know, you know, in 10 years, I want to be really on, on top of my shit and have, have things kind of mature and going, um, Yeah, you know, and that's, so that's kind of how I think about the timeline. Yeah. It's a totally different from like the corporate world where it's like this quarter. Yeah. It's, totally. it's, and that affects your, that affects, I, I find that that sort of thinking affects your spirit too. Like when you have a long-term view, like it totally. changes you internally as well. It does. It, it takes you away from short, you know, short time preferences. You know, it, it gives you, it, 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 it almost changes your, your nervous system's relationship yeah. to life. I would say yeah. you're not, you're not so much expecting these short term hits, right? You're, you're really in it for the long run. And, and it really changes the way you look at like, work, like your place, this mm-hmm. relates to like a localist sensibility of like, Hey, like I'm, I'm where I'm probably going to be hopefully the rest of my life. I'm pretty happy with where I am. It's not perfect, mm-hmm. you know, but it's pretty good location, pretty good situation. Uh, you know, and so like, I'm thinking like long-term, you know, just planting trees that'll take 10 years to mature five or 10 years, like that automatically, it like puts you into kind of longer term thinking. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just good. That's just good. That's healthy. That's, that's the mark of kind of healthy cultures and civilizations is, you know, kind of longer time preferences, right? Yeah, you get off the dopamine cycle. Yeah, I mean, there are there are definitely small satisfactions along the way. Like you harvest food, you know, yeah. that's, sat- that's satisfying. You get eggs from your chickens, that's satisfying, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, really, you know, getting, I think homesteading, one thing it does is it, it really kind of, it really kind of puts you in, in it for the long haul, right? Yeah. And it kind of stabilizes you and it gives you, especially in the online world, which is, which is nuts, right? Like reality, absolutely insane. Yeah. you know, Robert Anton Wilson, reality tunnels and like, it's crazy. And if you don't have something to ground you, like, yeah, like you're just going to be taken away in, in something, right. In some, in the, in the, in the the metasphere. (laughs) And like literally grounding you like the ground. Yeah. Like you're digging in the ground. I I really think there's something that it's just true. The idea, like the garden of Eden, like, man is supposed to be a gardener yeah it's just it's just true like when you do it it's like yeah it's you're all these other problems start to fall away yeah when you're just like that connection to nature is is vital otherwise you just are everyone's an insane person yeah i mean it, it really is the most foundational thing you know of being a cultivator of nature right? yeah you know of being like a creator like a like not yeah. just a survivor, a creator. You're su- you're sustaining life. You're getting new life. Exactly. Yeah. And and it, and it, you also you know it's interesting because you have it, in, in many ways it's kind of like this dynamic non-duality, right? Where mm-hmm. you're you're kind of like part of nature, 
you know, you're not separate from it, but you also have a very specific, important role within nature. You are nature. You are, you know, you're an expression right. of nature, but you're also the part of nature that, you know, has the cognitive ability to, to, you know, either destroy things or to make them a lot better to cultivate. Yeah. Nature. You're like an organizing yeah. principle of nature, the cosmos. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's like the principle behind like permaculture, agroecology is, you know, humans don't, don't only have the capacity to, you know, to sustain or to kind of survive, but like you said, they can really actually regenerate, right? They can yes. really improve. They can improve soil very quickly if they put their minds to it. Yeah. They can, you know, do a lot of things, you know, uh, create space for, for other, other beings, you know, other, other types of sentience as well, you know, with, yeah. within, their, within their place. Within their yeah, place. and this is, this is my main thing against most environmentalism is they take this view like we should just not be involved at all. Yeah, I hate that view of environmentalism. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I, no, we're we're supposed to help the thing. Yeah, go. yeah. No, this idea that we should have like, you know, set, you know, set aside all of this pristine wilderness, you know, that humans aren't a part of, and all the humans should kind of go to the city, you know, yeah. go to the pods and yeah, it's pristine like that. That doesn't make any sense. Like, it makes the forest sick, and it makes us sick. Exactly. I mean, yeah. if you look at if you look at indigenous cultures, you know, in ecosystems all over the world, you know, the Americas were were very well managed. Yeah, it. it's they, amazing how it never gets out that people like the Native yeah. Americans were like they were like cultivating the whole continent. Exactly, they it were was doing crazy ferns. They were planting, yeah. they were they were planting things that they could use for food, fiber, what medicine, whatever you know. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, we're not you know like we co-evolved with the nature that we understand now, even in its most kind of quote pristine form. It, that's a co-evolution, right? That's still yeah. Like, we were there the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 this crazy. It's this almost. It's this almost like weird. And I don't. I don't even know what to call it. But this idea that we were like just dropped here on accident, right. or some aberration, and we need to be separate. It's yeah, crazy. we need to be separate, and you know, there's some there's some you know kind of currents of like you know humans just need to go away, and yeah. I, I understand where that comes from. I understand I do too. the anger of like that we've we've wrecked shit, right? Like right. we've just we've poisoned the you know the water, we've poisoned the soil, you know, all of this stuff. I understand that anger, but you know, that's a pretty modern phenomenon, right? Yeah. It's not kind of you know, there have been cultures in the past that have destroyed, you know, Easter Island, you know, they kind of sure, just, sure. just took all the resources. It happens from time to time. People mess up. Yeah. But there's many examples where, yeah. you know, they did, you know, they did well and, and they survived and were sustainable for hundreds or thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and so it can go both ways. Humans have that capacity. That's, you know, going back to kind of the Christian metaphor, like that's kind of the free will, like humans can, can, can choose yes. to do good or they can choose to, you know, you know, they can choose to be godlike or they can choose to be demon like. Yeah. 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 Like this crazy notion going around like that if there are and I understand where it comes from, but like this idea that if there are more people, like that there's a zero sum game, like if pe population of people increases, animals in nature automatically have to go extinct. Which is it like yeah. if you if people are living correctly, they would foster more the more people would foster more and better care of the whole thing. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the idea. It's you know it's it's not to me it's not clear like what 
you know, what a, what a kind of sustainable carrying capacity would yeah, be, yeah. you know, whether we've already overshot it or whether there could be more people, you know, I, I definitely think that, you know, and we're, and we're seeing with, you know, you know, kind of on the frontier of, again, like permaculture agroecology, that, that you can have a lot of productivity in a very ecologically healthy sense, you know, um, on, on small pieces of land. Yeah, in a very, very small spaces. I've been amazed at what people can do with them. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and one thing about that and why people critique that is they say, oh, well, it requires a lot of labor. Well, just speaking for myself, I enjoy the physicality, right? Yeah. If I don't, if I don't get a few hours at least, you know, a few hours at least of like physical labor, you know, mm-hmm. I start, I start going kind of nutty, right? Yeah. Like I, I need that. And it, it, it help. it just sorts me out psychologically, you know, spiritually. And I just think that this idea that, you know, humans shouldn't just, you know, shouldn't labor anymore or shouldn't like use their right. hands. Right. And, oh, they need exercise. Okay. They go to the gym, you know, they power a machine that doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Wasting energy. Um, you know, let's what, if we funneled that energy into, into cultivating the earth and providing for ourselves, we can do a lot. Um, yeah. We just need to be willing to get our hands dirty, literally. Yeah. I think it comes from, I think it's two things like one labor, like in front of a computer yeah. is very draining. Yeah. Absolutely. And also laboring over something you don't care about. Yeah. So just, but if it's like if it's like your garden that you love. Yeah. And you're doing it. It's not in front of a computer. Labor means a totally different thing. Yeah. I never yeah. wish that I could work less outside, you know, in my garden or building something that, that I love. I never wish I could do less of it. I always wish I had more time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yep. but I have to, I have to make an income. So I have to go, go to my computer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, maybe one day you'll be able to make the income off the, maybe, off the maybe. Land. Yeah. 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 We'll see. I mean, I, you know, this is still part of an early learning process, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm still learning how to really grow food and to do it in a, in a, you know, the right way. Um, and, you know, at some point I might, you know, like my tendency is like, I don't really want to sell it for money i you know sure. i'd rather i'd rather have like a you know a barter economy sort uh-huh. of thing or a gift economy sort of thing yeah but you know you know it, it might come to well okay you know i'll you know for a few things that i'll specialize in you know i might i might sell just to get some extra income you know hopefully right. to plow right back in you know invest right back into you know into the homestead yeah. really well, you may not be able to jump straight to barter economy. There may have to be intermediate steps. Yeah, no, capital, you need capital. You know, yeah. I mean, that's why I need an extra external income right now. But, right. you know, in, in general, I would like to get to a point. Well, I mean, I like, I'm teaching, I like teaching, you know, um, you know, but I'd like to get to the point where I don't actually need that much income um, right. coming in from outside of the homestead. You know, still a little bit is good because you need to right. buy pools, you need to, but, you know, there's certain things that you just can't make yourself. Sure. Um, you know, especially in, you know, in this environment or you, or you can't procure, say, locally through some kind of barter trade or, you know, even selling selling locally uh, just because rural areas have been hollowed out in the last few yeah. years, right? Um, it's nothing what it used to be. Um, so that needs to be built back, right? So, like, I feel like my development almost is going to be hand in hand with hopefully the development of my region, you know, my, yeah. my town, my, 
you know, uh, my area. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it has to be kind of like we're all kind of bootstrapping and, and helping each other bootstrap. Yeah. I want to talk to you about that because it's like um, this is the this is the critique that always gets brought up when you bring up like localism is like, well, how do you how do you how do you organize at scale if everyone's just a small farmer? Yeah. And, like, yeah. and I always say, well, people used to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, why is it such a mystery? And I guess it is because all of the all of the social infrastructure for doing that is gone. And we don't yeah. know what we would take to build it back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true. I mean, you know, so you're, you're kind of talking, you know, one way I'd frame it is kind of like, what is the larger kind of meta stability that, that kind of makes yeah. everything coherent and right. you know, creates, um, you know, and, and in the past, you know, we have, we have models, you know, we have the model of, of the state or we have the model of empires or a monarchy or, or whatever. Right. And, and so we kind of like pick and choose elements of that. But, you know, for me, it helps to think about in terms of like multiple scales, right? Mm -hmm. And multiple scales, you have to think differently. So an important scale for me is the family scale. Uh, and then another important scale for me is, is village. So that's, that's localism. It's the family, the village. Um, and then I'm thinking kind of in the ecological sense, you know, the watershed, you know, how do you, you know, some things need to be governed or managed at a watershed scale. Yeah. Some things need to be handled at a bioregional scale. Uh, and then, you know, a few things um, at the planetary scale. But for me, it's like, okay, we can, we can, we can take some insight from the past, how things have done, done in the past, but we also have this new affordance of digital technology that, and decentralization where we can perhaps, you know, coordinate kind of from the bottom up, right? And kind of create sure. these larger, you know, meta structures that, you know, of, you know, trade, coordination, whatever, at a larger regional scale, that you know is 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 kind of you know quite new, right? Or at least yeah. is is definitely, if not you know, ha has a different qualitative, you know, um, signature to it. Yeah, I I believe we are on the cusp of being able to do a totally new society, basically. Like just the technology, nope. and this is this is the thing is like, how does the technology merge with the homesteading? Like, are we all solar punk crypto kids? Right. You know, like, how does it, how is it going to work? And I really don't know. Yeah. We'll have to see. But the ability of an individual or a family to generate their own electricity, like, for, is game changing. Yeah. It's totally sure. game changing. And also, like, the decentralization technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can, if you just imagine that for a little bit, you can imagine societies that, like, the nation state doesn't even make sense anymore. Right. It, it, except, you know, Maybe not the nation state. I, I, I right. prefer the bioregional scale, but something yeah. to prevent, say, all out warfare, you know, just kind of, yeah, like, yeah. you know, zero sum, like one side is going to destroy the other side. Um, you know, there, there, you know, there needs to be some kind of larger stability. But I think, you know, kind of what we're getting at with like crypto and, and other new forms of coordination and currency and rethinking, you know, how we think about money and, and um you know, there's new ways to do this that I don't think any of us can pre really predict yet. No, no. It's like it's like everyone knew the Internet was going to be something, but no one could have predicted exactly what and how it would affect us. Yeah. I think these new technologies are the same the same way. Yeah. It's, we know it's something big, but what that means exactly, we're not quite sure. Right. Right. Are you so are you are you a solar guy? Do you have solar solar panels or? 
not 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 right now. So that's you know another speaking. Yeah. Of, you know, like we so we bought this house, um, uh-huh. which you know is nice in the sense that you just jump right in. Um, but you know, it would have it would have also you know been nice to kind of like build from the ground up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and create it like passive solar, for example. Uh-huh. And, um, I mean, we're looking into getting solar panels. Um, yeah. Like pretty soon, like actually. Right now, we're we're looking into getting like a wood stove. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, our heating is just like really, you know, we have a, we have an oil furnace, which is yeah. totally not you know in line with my values, but it's just it's just where we're at, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're on the electricity grid, and so have yeah, you the, I definitely the, want the wood to stoves from Nor- invest in like, those What's that? The the, the, Nor- the wood stoves from like Norway and whatnot. Um, I'm not sure there's a, you know, locally there's a, there's a wood stove supplier. And so yeah. we're looking in there. I, I actually haven't been there yet, you know, they, yeah. they have weird hours. And, but so, uh, but that's like our, our next major kind of investment basically. Yeah. Um, and that, it, yeah, that, that's, uh, it, I mean, just using wood for fuel again, you know, yeah. and realizing like changing your mindset was like, oh, that's an option. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't even see that's an option. But like I was, I brought up the north because a lot of people in Scandinavia still, as their main heating source, right. use burn wood and wood stoves. And I've looked at those, and they have them super efficient. It's crazy yeah. how efficient they get with those wood stoves. Right, right. And you can you you can like you know you can cook food on them. You yeah, know, you can get one that you know has has like flat area. Yeah, so that's nice. Um, Some people use them for a water heater. You can use them for a water. Yeah, heater. it's crazy how how much they get off just wood. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's you know uh, probably solar panels. You know, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know if solar panels are a silver bullet because sure. you know one if it breaks, you know the parts and supply yeah. chains, and so you know, and so <clears throat> we probably will end up getting those, but it won't be like you know, like we'll have redundancy. We'll have other backups. Sure. Right. Um, so that brings up a, a question like this is another critique leveled at localism is like and like like if we're if we are going to move because I think we're going to have to. Yeah, I think that I, like a lot of people look at you can look at decay in different ways. There's like societal decay, institutional decay. Yeah, I think what it's going to where it's going to rubber meets the road is just kilowatt hours consumed by an individual is going to go down. Yeah, I think yeah. you're going to see that over time because yeah. I think. I, I think the infrastructure is just not going to handle it. Mm-hmm. And then, but so I think people are going to have to start being smaller. Yeah. For, for numerous reasons. Right. They're gonna have to, but then the question is, okay, but if you're smaller and you want to live this localized lifestyle, then how do you do things like manufacture solar panels or whatever? Like where yeah, does yeah. the, how does the small grow out to like having complex manufacturing and can right. we do that? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I have a couple of responses to that one, you know, you know, there's a, there's a version of localism that I think is, is kind of what a lot of people talk about it, say, you know, mean implicitly, which is like multi-scale localism. And so mm. it means minimum viable scale, right? So, okay. you know, it recognizes that some things cannot be localized to your homestead or your village. Sure. Um, a lot of things can, right? That, yeah. Like, a lot. Like, yeah. Like, Food production is probably the major one that can, mm-hmm. you know, I think also perhaps manufacturing, um, at least at a regional scale, right? Yeah. At uh, least at a watershed level. 
at least at a watershed level. I mean, yeah. so the one one movement that I'm keeping track of and I find interesting is, is this cosmolocal production, which is basically this idea that uh, you can have, you know, kind of digital commons of design, right? Mm, and, mm-hmm. Like where you're, you're, you're uh, sharing kind of design insights, uh, but you can actually procure a lot of your materials locally, perhaps not all yeah. of them, um, yeah. but a lot of them locally uh, to, and, and create very like appropriate technology, right? So as you said, like, we would probably have to use less energy overall. I tend to agree with that, um, yeah. you know, and have to be more frugal and thrifty. I, I, you know, I think that's a good thing. I think that's actually yeah, it's a, it's a positive that will hurt in the hurt in the moment as it's happening. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's you know there's a lot of people focused on like how do you you know how do you manufacture locally? Um, you know how do you integrate that with agriculture, food production? Um, you know with kind of community design uh and there's just a lot there's a lot of people you know that are that are kind of developing this kind of like low tech um you know low tech alternatives to yeah. you know to, to meet our basic needs basically yeah uh, and some, you know and some of it's some of it's kind of bringing in technology from the past that has kind of been forgotten uh-huh. you know kind of wrath of non style and some of yeah. it is like pretty high tech but it's you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, made modular and it's kind of streamlined in a way, you know, you can have 3d printing technology, you know, stuff yeah. that, that is fundamentally new that that yeah. does allow you to localize a lot of things. Like 3d printing is like, is like, the, it's like the decentralization of crypto. It's like solar. It's one of those other technologies. It's like, that's game changing. It's infancy yeah. right now. Yeah. But also it's sort of not like the people that are really into it can do amazing things. Right. Printing. Yeah. I mean, they print crazy. It's like, you know, tools. Saw a guy print a hammer. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's manufacturing that right there. It, 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 you know, it is in its infancy, but, yeah. you know, it, it really can empower communities. It really can empower, you know, localities to, to, you know, cut their dependencies, you know, yeah. on larger political structures that they find oppressive. Absolutely. Yeah, like because the the I guess in the industrial revolution everything got big. Yeah. But then we started to and I guess in the computer world we started to make things small. Right. And now maybe we've gone full scale like well now let's make the factory really small again. Right. Right. And if that happens that would be I mean society would look totally different. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, there's like, you know, things got big because there's yeah. the argument of economies of scale. Right, you, know, you lose a lot of stuff, but but now I mean we're realizing that well, you know, we're a highly consumeristic society, and most of the shit we buy we throw away within like a year, right? Like right. Even, you know, or, or if it breaks, we just throw it away, and so you know perhaps you know this trade off of getting the scale and just getting this mass pr- production of you know low quality stuff was a bad trade off, right? Yeah. Uh, and and or perhaps- maybe it was a necessary thing to get to hit the next step. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know, have to give it up now. It's like you know, for like activation threshold. You know, so right. like the whole thing around fossil fuels is that, you know, um, you know, I don't see fossil fuels as being long for this war. One, just because we're we're going to run out eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, I don't think it's good for the climate. Uh, but uh, you know, it it might have been you know in order to kind of get to this next stage, which is kind of you know bringing in a lot of 
the wisdom from the past, but it's going to be, there's going to be futuristic elements, you know, perhaps, you know, a lot of us have the kind of like these visions for a golden age of humanity and like that, like, you know, it might've been a necessary stage, like this activation right. stage that allowed us to, you know, basically uh, invent the technologies that allow us to not to then decouple from that, you know? Yeah. Model. Yeah. That's my hope is that's what it was or is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that, because, um, yeah, if you, that, that's like real, what you describe as like real traditionalism, like, yeah. like, a, like imagine if, cause there's a lot of people talking about traditionalism and what they're saying is like some weird fetishized version. Right. Uh, but like what you're talking about, like, imagine how different, like even things like if, you, if manufacturing was local again, like even there would be local architecture because people would be doing it in a different way with slightly different technology, yeah, slightly different tools. And you would have like, oh, this city looks different than that city. Yeah. And like that. And then people would be manufacturing clothes in a different way in different places. Yeah. And it wouldn't be all one gray goo mass. Right. No, it would be a beautiful, I think it yeah. would be a beautiful thing. You would have kind of vernacular. Uh, yeah. I mean, culturally, uh, diverse expressions of place and culture, yeah. um, you know, and it would be a much, you know, especially if we were able to, you know, if, if one difference from the past was that we were able to kind of, you know, get around like, you know, kind of mass famine, for example, you know, yeah. just being so extremely, you know, incredibly vulnerable to the elements uh -huh. right? we had, you know, because we have some new technologies as well, you know, we're more resilient in that way then, you know, it, I think it would be a beautiful thing because- Oh, yeah. You know, it, and it really would be a fusion of, of the past and the future, right? It, right. It, it would be bringing, it, bringing the past both, I think both technologically, but also spiritually, you know. Yes. Uh, indigenous cultures, you know, being, being more connected to the seasons, to the earth, to, you know, ceremonies, you know. Yeah, religion, I don't think you could have a religion without that. Exactly. All of these things would come, all of, all of the things that we liked about, mm -hmm. you know, these religious traditions, we can bring back and they would be diversified expressions based, you know, uh, reflecting the place, you know, and right. it, it would be beautiful. But, yeah. yeah, I think, I think there's, you know, the, the death of religion in the West and really globally has been, that's been thrown at the feet of a lot of causes. Yeah. But I really think the main cause is just disconnection from the cycles of nature. Like that, in my opinion, like if if people, again, like if a harvest festival meant something, right? You know, like we have Halloween, we're, we're coming up on Halloween and Thanksgiving, which is sort of a vestige of a harvest festival, right? But right. it's not connected to nature in any way. Yeah, really, it's not. It's not connected to actual practices where you actually right. earn, you know, where where the symbolic, you know, the significance of, you know, the, the kind of the ceremonial elements yeah. that really you know were spiritual it's it's more of just kind of like you know it's it's kitsch at this point yeah it's kitsch um it's kitsch. And, and how can a people like be or connect to god or the, and they don't like connect to life and death because the other thing of grow of having a homestead is you have to watch like animals die or yeah. kill them or yeah. you know whatever and yeah. that like most people can, today can go their whole lives and never kill anything yeah. Which sounds yeah. good on one level, but also you're disconnected from 
most of nature kills things in nature. Right. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, and that, and that was me, you know, before yeah. I started trying to homestead. And I, have, I haven't really, you know, the only times I've had to, I've had to kill a couple of chickens because they were, they were kind of fatally injured. So I had to like, you know, yeah, yeah. I had to behead them myself. But still, that's, that's a thing that most people never had to do. I mean, if your dog gets sick now, you take it to a third party. Right. And have it put down, you know, right. rather than, I, I guess, old yeller style. Right. Which is sad, but you, you're missing out on something in the way the world is. Yeah. No, I think cultures that, you know, like cultures that uh, avoid death or don't, don't bring death front and center in part of the definition of life. Yeah. Um, are not, not long for this world. Um, yeah, I agree. Disembodied. Uh, yeah. This, it's, I've heard the modern life described as a deincarnation. And I think that's true. Like, yeah, we're just so in our heads, so in our minds mm-hmm. that the the I think most of societal problems would go away if people had like two hours of work with their hands a week. I couldn't agree more. Would, <laughs> like I, that's I, all I it would take. Two hours with your hands a day. Yeah, <laughs> it should be a minimum. Yeah, <laughs> an able-bodied person. Yeah. So okay, tell me yeah. a little more about the the regeneration movement, and and also we touched on it, but where do you stand really on like how much technology you want to allow into your life and homestead? Like, do you skew more toward like Luddite Amish or more toward like solar punk guy? Like, where are you at? Um, I tend to, I, I skew a little bit more towards the, the Luddite end, but uh-huh. I can keep an open mind. Yeah. Um, so for example, you know, I, I, I try not to foreclose possibilities. Right. And so, you know, one of my kind of mantras is minimum viable tech. Okay. Right. So if I can, if I can use a more simple technology that I could perhaps r- repair myself, mm-hmm. or you know, if it breaks or something like that, I'm going to opt for that. But I think sometimes, for you know, minimum viable tech can be pretty high tech, right? So mm-hmm. if, I, if I decided to get solar panels, yes, that, that's a pretty high tech thing. Um, but you know, I would get that because I, I didn't see any better lower tech options, right? Right. To get, you know, enough energy, electricity that you know, I needed to, to do things. Um, you know, it really depends. I mean, I think digital technology is a real affordance. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it fucks us up in many ways, psychologically, sure. web, you know, web two in particular. Yeah. But, you know, it, it doesn't have to, that doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's a tool like anything else and it can be misused or used very well. And so I'm not, I'm not foreclosing, you know, we're, we're, we're talking over, you know, the internet, you know, I think there's a, there's a huge value in what I call cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan localism. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that term. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically what we're doing right now. Like we, we live in different localities and yet we're exchanging information. We're exchanging insight. We're exchanging knowledge. I think that's a beautiful thing Yeah, Um, that can speed up innovation at a, not at a large scale, but at a broad scale, meaning mm. in a network sense. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to give that up unless I would have to, and that's high tech. So that's true. I was looking for what you, cause you said something just about that, about, um, Oh, what was it? You said it was, uh, your grandmother said something about the bed is for sleeping and sex. And you said the computer was for, uh, posting on Twitter and podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was just kind of a shit post. In general. Yeah, but it was good. That was true. Like, the, the computer is a good tool, yeah. but 
you should be limited. You shouldn't be. It shouldn't be your whole day. Like if you lay all day in bed. Yeah. Like the bed is for certain things. Yeah. You shouldn't be there all day. And the computer is for certain things. And you shouldn't be there all day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, that's it. I mean, are we are we using the computers or are they using us? And I think right right now, you know, like we're no longer we've lost our sovereignty or or a lot of us lost our sovereignty. I I don't think a lot of us realize how much we've been mind fucked (laughs) by the. Oh, yeah. Really. Right. Uh, And, And how much of our opinions, our behavior is, you know, mediated through. Well, I mean, the most obvious example is advertising, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, our hedonic yes. impulses, um, but even like you know, our culture, our values, like it, like it's the water we're swimming in. So it's sometimes hard to see, but you know, sometimes you have to just step step back from it for a while to kind of like just deprogram yourself a little bit, you know? Yeah, I think you get a sense of it, and this this rarely happens to a lot of people these days. Even like when I was younger, this would happen more often. But when the power goes out for like a week, yeah, like h- how quickly your mind starts to adapt to different a different way that you do, like you know, just, right. just I mean, just just things taking longer, yeah, you know, <laughs> to do like it takes ten times yeah. longer to like wash the dishes, right. you know, yeah. and it makes you think in a different way. But you get that like, yeah, it, it the marketing, the constant like seeing ads twenty four seven is just awful, yeah. It, it makes you a, it makes you a non-human, really. Right. Uh, so a few more quick questions, mm-hmm. and uh, then I'll then we'll be done. This is a big, great interview for me so far. Really enjoyed it. Uh, but in your future plans, how are you going to include things like fishing, hunting, or is it just going to be mainly producing like a farm thing? Are you going to or foraging even? Mm-hmm. Like how much of this? You know, how how old school are you going to try to go? Um, all of the above, you know, yeah. really, you know, again, I wasn't raised fishing, hunting, foraging, yeah. you know, this is all stuff I'm going to have to learn. Um, yeah. and you know, luckily, you know, there's some people, you know, that I know that, you know, are experienced, you know, fishers, hunters, everything. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, I'm just going to tag along with them. But I, I think, I think, you know, when we start thinking about diversified livelihood strategies, um, I think at a localized level, I think you know, catching wild game is an integral part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and, you know, it's an integral part of, of being human, of how we evolved as well. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's sad because my dad, when I was really young, used to hunt. And I remember being really young and I would go with him and I was too young. So I would stay in the car sure. and then he just, he stopped hunting, um, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, uh, you know, whatever reasons. And so he never actually took me when I was of age mm. to go. And, and so, you know, it's something that, that is sad, you know, I, I wish yeah. you know, I had those experiences uh, because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm going to have to get over my squeamishness and, yeah. but it's something I think is really important. And I want to, I want my kid to grow up experiencing those things. So absolutely. Yeah. I feel I feel similar about fishing. I went my 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 dad would take me fishing, but I never enough I never went enough to get good at it. Yeah. And you think like, oh, it's just fishing. Yeah. And I used to think that, but then one time I went fishing and I wasn't catching very much, you know. And this other guy pulls up, complete redneck fellow, mm. doesn't have a fishing pole. He has some string and a lure tied around a beer can. <laughs> and he just sort of whips it around his head like a lasso, <laughs> hurls it out there, catches yeah. like seven in thirty minutes. Yeah. 
And I'm sitting there, what are you just just rolling it up on the beer can? I'm like, okay, (laughs) there's clearly an art form here. I don't understand. No, it's, it's a, you know, it's a real skill. And it's one of those skills as well that, you know, you can't really learn it in a book. You have to, it's really, you know, if you grow up doing those things, you start learning the the hidden patterns of how, how to, how to do something like that. Right. Yeah. When, you know, when to do it exactly how, you know, it's it's like, that's connection with nature. That, that is nature. Like that's what, that's what we need. You know, you're this, you, you know, you said this random guy, like these kinds of folks have a lot to teach us. And they, they uh, do like, like there, like I was just, I was like, amazed. he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you just throw it. And he, could, he couldn't even explain it. You know, he yeah, just done it. So embodied. Much. It's embodied. Yeah. It was embodied. Exactly. It was like his hands knew what to do exactly. and his eyes knew the spots to look for. And yeah. like he, and what struck me is that guy, he also would like, he would, while he was fishing, he would talk to the fish. Just yeah. like whispering, mm-hmm. and he said, "I, you know," he said, "Oh, you gotta, you gotta talk to them, otherwise they won't come." And I thought that's, just, but then I was, now I'm thinking maybe that's true. Like maybe you do have to talk to. Them. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. Or, you know, it's who you know who 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 am I to say who who hasn't you know talked yeah. in his life? Who am I to say that that's nonsense? I, I have yeah. no position. I have no but, position to say that. Yeah, <laughs> I just from that man, I thought I got a little glimpse of like uh modern animism yeah he's like the fish are intelligent and i have to speak to them yeah and coax them to come here yeah you know absolutely uh, okay that was great uh one last question because we are a, a semi show that talks about paranormal supernatural stuff have okay. you ever experienced anything you would consider paranormal and or supernatural hmm. a ghost a ufo a bigfoot huh. anything like that I've definitely experienced expanded states of consciousness okay. uh, numerous times, both through psychedelics as well uh-huh. as, you know, due to meditation. Um, and so for me, it's always been kind of like these kind of non-dual glimpses or awakenings, right? Yeah. That, that are kind of just, just like a glimpse. Um, I, haven't, I haven't experienced anything I would call paranormal. Okay. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of supernatural, um, you know, to me, nature is pretty mystical in and of itself. Yes, and so I, agree. I don't know if I would draw a clear distinction between natural and supernatural, but I haven't, I haven't, what you're describing of like a ghost or some entity, yeah. I haven't, I haven't had that experience. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What uh, about you? Oh, I saw a UFO when I was 14. That sort of kicked off my whole. Okay. Thing. And I don't know that it was aliens is the thing. It just it was like this weird anomaly. Yeah. It came very close. You can't explain. You, know, you I, have no other explanations for it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've talked to people before. Like, uh, recently, I was in a video of basically what looked like a burning ball of spinning plasma in the sky. Yeah. It was blow, blow. You know, there's people people have these weird uh, things you can't explain. And that's just... That's always, I think those are hints and glimpses of what is beyond they're trying to piece together. Yeah. Yeah, You know, it's uh, my local people are more open to it because they talk to fish. Right. Well, my stance is I just don't know. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I just don't know. Um, Haven't had that experience, but I'm, you know, if people, if people claim those experiences, I'm not, I'm not going to foreclose, you know, I'm not going (laughs) to foreclose that it was what they claim. Right. Right. The, the, the universe reality is, is much more, is much weirder than, than I can comprehend. So that, you know, oh, I know yeah. That, so that's, yeah. Like 
like uh, McKenna used to say, where is it written that in, that slightly intelligent monkeys should be able to understand the cosmos in total? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, all right, man. Thank you so much for your time. That was great. I enjoyed talking to you. Cool. I enjoy yeah. your work. I want to see your homestead continue to grow. You're an inspiration for what I want to do one day. Sweet. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, yeah, good good luck and yeah. look forward to keeping up with what you're doing as well. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. All right. Take care, Yoshi. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.